Welcome to the College Football Playoff Show, where college football playoff contenders earn the right to be discussed and where the playoff never ends. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Thanks to everyone for riding along on this Wednesday pod. We're going to rank teams in the middle. At the end, we're going to boot somebody out. But first, we're going to try to welcome a team, Shahan. We have 11 playoff contenders on our list right now. I will say, Shahan, we are getting to the point here at the midway mark of the season where when we think about playoff contenders, there's two things that I think have to happen. One is I think you have to start acknowledging almost anybody in the Power Five who's undefeated because it's like, well, I don't know. You haven't lost so far, and let's be honest, if you win all your games – and you're a Power 5 team, you're going to be in the playoff. So, like, if you're halfway there, no matter how easy your schedule may be, we've got to think about opening our minds to those teams, right? Because this isn't being 3-0. and And there's only 13 teams overall in major college football of 130 who are still undefeated. Do you, do you generally subscribe to that theory, or do you still feel like there are teams where you're just going to hold back because it's like, man, they still – they might get to 9-0, and they still wouldn't have beaten anybody of consequence. So, unfortunately, I have to go look at our beloved Wake Forest Demon Deacons. And the thing I think that's going to be difficult for them is that there is not another team in the ACC that's really even decent. I, I, I don't even know if there's another team that's like, – like, what's going to be their quality win? And I, I I hate saying this because I think that I love Wake Forest. I think that they're a great team. I think that just making a New Year's Six Bowl would be just tremendous, tremendous stuff. Uh, but I do think that in this particular year, right, you look the rest of the year, they got Army, Duke, North Carolina. They do play ranked NC State, but then at Clemson, who's not great, at BC – like, I'm not saying that they'd have zero chance if they won out, but like the reasons that they'd get left out of the playoff have a lot more to do with everything around them than them. So I generally agree that if you're undefeated and go through, then you should, I mean, you would likely make the playoff. You probably should make the playoff in my opinion, which is part of why I think we should expand it. But this year's ACC is like historically bad. It's barely a power, five, a power five conference, right? I mean, I'm, the the American, like the idea that's like, oh, well, Cincinnati might get in as the as the champion of the American. Now, a lot of that is based on winning non-conference games, but also like the American might be better than the ACC. Right. And the only reason that the Pac-12, because the Pac-12 is not that far off. I mean, there's a couple more quality teams, I think, in the Pac-12 this year than in the ACC. But like the only reason that we aren't talking about the Pac-12 like that is because Oregon beat Ohio State on the road. That's the only difference. So yep. I generally subscribe. I, I agree with the general premise that if you go undefeated in a Power 5 league, you shouldn't have to worry that you're not going to make the playoff. Um, I think that this is a special year. I think that it's a wide open year is also another part of that. Um, and But, you know, like you mentioned, 13 teams undefeated in all of college football, only eight of those in the Power 5. So right. you are at least on the precipice of becoming a contender if you go through and and if you're 6-0 and undefeated. Five undefeated teams in our rankings right now. Georgia, Iowa, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Michigan. We have four that we're going to consider letting in right now. We sent it to our tech subscribers. That's Michigan State, Oklahoma State, Kentucky, and Wake Forest. And then we have these teams that we're just not thinking about yet. They're group of five. Coastal Carolina, 
SMU, San Diego State, and UTSA. Two of those in your state, Shahan. I will give you 30 seconds to talk about SMU and UTSA, however you want to do it. <laughs> well, I got to start with UTSA. Okay. So this is a program that only started playing college football back in 2012. And they basically wanted to try to elevate their entire university right at the same time. So they came in, uh, they really had an idea for it. And the funny thing is, I remember they, when they hired their coach, Jeff Trailer. I was shocked because he was on that Chad Morris, Arkansas staff, and he's a former Texas high school football coach, like a legendary high school football coach. Um, but, you know, you were just kind of like, ah, but he's never really been a part of success at the college level before. Like they talked about loving his personality and you're like, is that enough? Is that really enough that he's going to like be beloved among high school coaches and going to be able to recruit well? And the thing that I think has become a misnomer is that they're not winning because of his recruiting. They're winning because he's a great on-field coach. He's only in mm. his second year. Uh, you know, he's put to, he put together a great recruiting class, but those guys aren't the kids who are contributing. It's kids who are already there. So uh, I think he's just done a great job of evolving, of using his best players, of finding ways to put guys in successful positions. And they beat Illinois and Memphis earlier in the year, which are two games that a Conference USA team should not win. So, you know, to go undefeated to this point is very impressive. And to touch on SMU, you know, SMU, I had a high expectations of them entering the year, uh, but you know, undefeated after six weeks. I mean, I, that, that's a big deal. They do such a good job of integrating transfers. I think Sunny Dykes has done such a great job over there. Um, you know, they are kind of a more of a combination of the way that they recruited, the way that they've added transfers. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that they're going to play an integral part in Cincinnati's playoff case if it comes to that, because, you know, if they're a top 25 team, which at this moment it looks like they should be. And, and I think that past those two teams, the American doesn't look awesome. Um, you know, so if SMU can kind of be that second team and be a top 25 team, I think it's a big deal. A lot of Cincinnati's fate is in SMU's hands, both either being a good quality opponent that will remind people how good Cincinnati is, when we are several months removed from the Notre Dame and Indiana wins or by beating Cincinnati and ending this whole thing, right? That's, that's kind of in SMU's hands at this point. And launching themselves into the playoff, obviously. Do you remember before the year, I, I said, uh, not, not really. They, they don't really have a chance here, but do you remember before the year that, uh, when we were talking about the 12 team playoff, I said that one of the teams that I'd be excited about in this new sort of playoff structure would be SMU because I thought that they would be a team that every single year would have a chance to be that sixth conference champion. And even, even with the, uh, even with obviously these three teams going to the big 12, probably before we have the expansion, uh, I think that that might put them in an even more favorable position where they're still going to think recruit at a high level. Hopefully they'll schedule well in the non-conference um, because yeah, I, I do think that they are the type of team. I think they're doing so many things right right now. Uh, the reason that they're not moving up to the big 12 is just because they're a smaller private school that doesn't have a huge alumni base and that's out of their control. But in terms of what they can control, I think that they do such a great job. So that is, uh, you know, nice. We want to give a nice little nod, but again, just being undefeated isn't the only thing. The other thing I we want to touch on briefly, which and and, and is maybe more a conversation with down the line. We are at the point where we have to start maybe coming back around on some two loss teams, especially in a chaotic world. Because the one thing is, listen, if we're going to have a a playoff conversation that is 10, 11, 12 teams deep, we're going to run out of one loss and undefeated teams at some point. And so, no, we've never had a two-loss team in the playoff before, but we've had two-loss teams on the precipice of the playoff before, and this might be the year. So Texas A&M falls into that. Are they going to work their way back into the conversation at some point? Could Clemson 
fall into that if they get their stuff no, together and they no, just don't look, do this look again look don't do awesome. this to me do look not do this to me <laughs> awesome so that's the kind of thing that we just have to be aware of because if we're gonna have a conversation that goes beyond six teams and we're in november we can't just be like well who's the better undefeated who's the better because we'll be out of them all right so we are going to talk about the teams that some of these undefeated teams that are in the mix to join the discussion this week. Shahan, we always put it out to the tech subscribers. I think it's one of the most fun things the tech subscribers get to do. If you want to be part of that, it's 817-442-6789 to sign up. You get to do these surveys where you get to vote on who gets put in. You get to vote on who gets kicked out. We'll kick somebody out at the end of the show. Right now, we are at 11. And the candidates to join this week, Shahan, I did throw Notre Dame in there. They're 5-1. and one. I don't know. They lost to a team that's like in the top three. So I threw Notre Dame in there at five and one. I don't know that anybody's banging on the door for Notre Dame to get in. Maybe they'll figure out their quarterback situation eventually. But the four undefeateds that I also gave people, Oklahoma State, five and oh, and then Michigan State, Kentucky, and Wake Forest are all six and oh. Shahan, sometimes I give the tech subscribers individually, do you think this team individually should be in? And then we take the team that got at least 50% yes. I was worried nobody would get 50% yes, Shahan. So I said, you have to pick one. Do you think it's possible none of these teams would have gotten over the 50% cent, over the fifty threshold on just yes or no on them? I would have been curious. Uh, I, I think that the two teams that would have been closest is I, I think that Michigan State would have itself a case. Um, you know, last week we kind of voted in Michigan, and I don't think that Michigan State's situation is that dissimilar from Michigan's. Uh, for me, I mean, just, you know, if we can go ahead and get into this, I'm hesitant at this point. I, I want to wait, I think, until that game on October 30th against Michigan. I think that they have an opportunity to play their way in. Um, you know, just because I think that when we're talking about playoff case, right, we're talking about upside. We're talking about being able to compete kind of up at the top. And, uh, and Michigan State hasn't had to do that to this point, right? They haven't played a team anywhere near that caliber. Uh, and the other team that I'd be curious about, um, and you know, maybe it, maybe it would end up being kind of a, where we have, votes coming in from geographically, I guess you say, is, I mean, you know, Kentucky being 6-0 and and obviously, uh, you know, looking really good against LSU last week. Now I've talked before about how I think that LSU is awful, but, uh, you know, I think at the same time, right, like it's kind of, uh, it's kind of UCLA syndrome where they get a little bit of a bump up because they beat a brand and they've beaten two brands back to back, Florida and, uh, and LSU. Now, same deal. They play Georgia this week. I don't think they have to beat Georgia to to really, you know, maybe even enter this discussion. I think that they just have to look like they are a similar ca- caliber team to Georgia. Um, so if they're able to do that, because again, if they go through eleven and one, don't make the SEC title game because they only lost to Georgia close. I think that they'd still have a great chance of making it. So with both those teams, I think that they would have a case. I'm just probably willing to wait a week and two weeks uh, in order to really evaluate their case. No, I think that's fair. And sometimes, you know, we've tried to at times put teams in sort of a week early so we can talk about them a little bit. And then if they don't deserve to be, if, you know, go in a week early before their big game, then if they don't deserve to make it, okay, then then we can kick them out again. I will say Notre Dame did not get a vote. So nobody <laughs> nobody wants Notre Dame in here. Wake Forest got 9% of the vote. So Wake Forest definitely the the – Least amount of interest among the undefeated teams we're talking about here. 25% of the vote went to Oklahoma State. 5-0 and Oklahoma State. 
do we just have to wait on them too? I mean, they don't they play Oklahoma in the finale, right? So like we're not going to get that for a while. But have they done anything else? I thought when I when I watched Tulsa Oklahoma State getting ready for Ohio State to play Tulsa, I thought that was a bad game both ways. I did not think Oklahoma State was good from that. Are you? We're just Oklahoma State has to show much more. Is that right in your mind? Yeah, so I mean, their their non conference slate was awful. They they beat Missouri State by seven points, Tulsa by five points, Boise State by one point, failed to score a point in the second half of that Boise State game. But they've beaten both of their Big Twelve opponents, both of whom were ranked at the time by double digits. I think this upcoming week is an opportunity for them to play themselves in. Uh, they play Texas on the road, then they get Iowa State on the road, and in Iowa State, you know, they're not a ranked team right now, which I think is a little fair, but that's a whole other thing. Um, you know, I, I think that those two games are going to give them an opportunity, right? Because I do think that they've turned a corner, but I also, I mean, based off of how they looked early in the year and even how ugly things kind of got in that Baylor game, I, I'm probably in no rush to put them in, and I think that the voters feel similarly. So they, I think, can play their way in this week, but I'm not theirs yet. Okay. One team that I did not put in the mix, Shahan, was Pitt. They're four and one. They are tenth in the SP plus ratings, which is pretty amazing. Again, I like these analytical ratings. The SP plus ratings also have two and three Wisconsin at number seven. So <laughs> these those type of rankings do have their limitations. Pitt lost to Western Michigan. If Pitt had just beaten Western Michigan, Pitt would be Pitt would be in our discussion right now. Because I, I think it's possible. I mean, Kenny Pickett, their quarterback, is playing great. I think it's possible. Like the way they're playing on the field, they might look like the best team in the ACC. They just lost to a MAC team. So they've got to overcome that. We've seen teams do that before. So I think Pitt is maybe on our radar, but they're not there yet. So they weren't in the vote. It came down to Michigan State or Kentucky. If you had to guess, Jihad, well, you do have to guess. I'm making you guess. <laughs> Who do you think the Texters pick, Kentucky or Michigan State? I think that they picked Michigan State. 26% for Michigan State. 40% for Kentucky. Oh, wow. I, I'm telling you, man, the, beating these bad brands, it, it matters to people. It matters to people that they beat LSU and uh, uh, LSU and Florida. Oh, my gosh. Uh, in back-to-back weeks, even though this might not be the best version of either of those teams. So they are going to get Georgia this week. I am willing to put Kentucky in in advance of that Georgia game so we can talk about them a tiny bit more, and then we'll be ready Right. Oh my gosh, if you beat Georgia or as you said, if you hang with Georgia, but they're the only other other undefeated team in the SEC besides Georgia. And like you said, I don't know. I mean, LSU and Florida, Florida played toe to toe with Alabama for much of that game. And then Kentucky beat Florida shows how much that means. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it is it's like in the again, if you, it, it, we have to sometimes avoid subscribing to the everybody stinks society, which frankly, I mean, in life, I subscribe to that society. But Florida has some good, how do I say Florida has some good players. LSU has some good players, even though their best players hurt. So I'll put Kentucky in because you know what? If you're if you're six now in the SEC and you beat a couple of those brands, I'll give you a little something for that. And then go take your shot at Georgia. So would you put Kentucky in? I would lean towards no, but I, you know what? Like, I don't have a huge problem with it. I mean, I do think that they have, I mean, they've handled everybody on their schedule. This is the best Kentucky team since the seventies, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's sort of an all time Kentucky team right now. Um, and you know, look, they, 
outside of those two games, you know, they've only, they haven't really played anybody else. I think that this Georgia game is going to be a really good test. Uh, I mentioned it on the Tuesday show. I kind of just think that this Georgia game might be a bad matchup, kind of like Georgia was for Arkansas, because they kind of want to push you around and play defense. And Georgia just does that way, way better. Um, but you know, I, I don't have a huge issue with it. So, uh, so if you and the voters both want them in, Sure. What the heck? Let's talk about them. Look at that. We'll add Kentucky to the list for this discussion. And there's a part of Kentucky that matters that I want to talk about that is a college football issue. So Kentucky's in. We're going to rank 12 teams in our playoff contenders. We're going to kick somebody out at the end and get back to 11. And we'll do that next on the College Football Playoff Show. In case you missed the last college football playoff show. How do you view Oklahoma falling behind Texas 28-7, benching its starting quarterback, and then beating Texas 55-48? I would say that it's a good one. It felt like in the second half, we finally got to see the Oklahoma that was promised. They leaned on the run game. We got to see that with Kennedy Brooks in the second half. Oh, I got a Kennedy Brooks thing coming. Please refer to him by his title, Doug's worst-ranked running back of the college football playoff contenders, Kennedy Brooks. (laughs) Get in on the fun. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts for exclusive college football playoff show bonus episodes. Doug and Shahan back. If you guys... Want to subscribe to the text 817-442-6789. And then, again, the, the Tuesday pod is a lot of fun. It's only on Apple Podcast. It's $2.99 a month to get that. It's $0.75 cents an episode. You go to Apple. It's easy to sign up. You sign up with your thumb and typing in your Apple code, just like you get, you know, Taylor Swift songs. You buy a Taylor Swift song, you buy four episodes of the College Football Playoff Show for $2.99 on Apple Podcasts. would love to have you on that Tuesday show. All right, Shahan, we're going to just rank them again like we're committee members. So we're now ranking 12 teams. So we just added Kentucky to that mix. Is Kentucky your number 12 or is somebody else your number 12 right now, Sean? No, right now my number 12 is Arkansas. Uh, there are two lost teams in, in Kentucky, right? Because I, I don't think that we have to just look at win, wins and losses, right? But I am kind of approaching this like a committee member. And so if you look at these teams, Arkansas is the only two loss team that we have on this list right now. Their two losses are, are fine, but like, you know, they are two losses. Uh, you know, Kentucky, I think they're, they're, they are my number 11, I will say, because I don't think that their resume is as impressive as the teams that I have ahead of them. Uh, but you know, the, I think that the shine is coming off of Arkansas a little bit. I, I think that they'll definitely be in consideration at the end of the show to potentially vote out. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with Arkansas just being a really, really, really nice story this year. Uh, this past weekend, you know, they, they go and play Ole Miss on the road. They lose 52 51 because they decided to go for it, uh, with zero seconds left on a two point conversion to try to win the game. And that's, that's gutsy, man. I love that. That, that's what college football is all about. They didn't get it. It was kind of a bad play, but that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, but you know, I, th- I just think that with two losses, that puts you in a tough position. Um, and it goes from, oh, is this like a national total everything caliber team to maybe like, hey, this is just maybe one of the best teams that Arkansas has had in a while. And that's really cool. I agree with both those things. I have Arkansas 12 and Kentucky 11. But man, Arkansas went down swinging and they went toe to toe with Old Miss. And if those teams played 10 times, I think they'd split it 5-5, right? We said it was sort of like a an after the fact undercard that both those teams had lost to Alabama and Georgia the week before. And they're fun, good you know, they're like nine win teams in the SEC, which is nothing to sneeze at. So I do want to talk about Kentucky at 11, though. So we both have Arkansas 12. We both have Kentucky at 11. This is something that has come up in college football. 
But Will Levis is the quarterback at Kentucky Shahan, and he is a transfer from Penn State. He played his best game uh, against LSU on Saturday. 14 of 17 passing for 145, ran it 11 times for 75 yards. He had played 14 games at Penn State in two years. He had started a couple games, but he transferred because he when he transferred to Kentucky, he still has, he has three years of eligibility. So he was at Penn State for two years. He did play. They would put him in games. He was like their wrinkle running quarterback. He also started a game or two when like Sean Clifford was either hurt or ineffective but he felt like it wasn't going to be an open competition going into this year that Sean Clifford was the guy. And so he transferred. And so here we are, Shahan, in a world where Kentucky is undefeated and getting ready to play Georgia as an undefeated team in large part because this guy transferred from Penn state. He won a quarterback battle there uh, in the preseason. And then like the guy he beat transferred. And meanwhile, Penn State lost to Iowa, Shahan, because Will Levis is no longer at Penn State. I think is a 100% true fact that if Will Levis was still at Penn State and Sean Clifford had gotten hurt and Will Levis had come in, that Penn State would have won that game. We can get into it a little bit more with Penn State, but this is the world we're in now, Shahan, where these players have power and, and they can do what is best for them. But if the teams don't adjust, man, you are changing the fates of multiple teams with who's in and who's out. And Will Levis is a pivot point of this college football season. I agree. You know, and, and I think that that goes back to something that's real interesting, which is, you know, a couple of years ago, back in, I think, the class of 2017, uh, Alabama took two quarterbacks, right? Two, you know, they took the all world top 50 to a tongue of Iloa. And then they were just kind of like, man, we just kind of want a guy there. And that guy was Mac Jones. And I think that in a lot of ways, they recruited Mac Jones and told him, hey, man, you're probably going to be our backup quarterback, right? Like, that's probably your life. And I think that that's a real credit these days, because I, I do think, first of all, every every team in the country, especially all these top end teams, need to be taking a quarterback every single year. But I think that the other thing is that I think that, um, and this is something I think Clemson has done historically pretty well in the past. Uh, I, I think that Clemson is a team that not just at quarterback, but at every position is like, we want to be honest with you that you're going to be a depth piece for us, but we're going to be the best offer you can get. I think that George has actually done a decent job of that too, right? Where they kind of have these guys to fill out that they're high level players, but they're not just kind of chasing blue chips for the, the sake of doing it because they know that those guys can have opportunities elsewhere. I, I do think that there is something to the idea of kind of just having a guy who can develop in your system and be a backup for you. Um, and, and I think that managing quarterbacks these days is one of the hardest things that you can do. But if you can get a guy like that, who's comfortable being a backup um, at least for an extended period of time and maybe waiting his turn, I, I think that you almost have to do that these days. And you mention it. I, I mean, if Penn state has this as any other quarterback, who can do anything for them. They win that football game against Iowa. But that's kind of just where we're at in college football. So I, I think you're right. I mean, I understand why Levis decided to transfer and, and he has his team in the top 10 right now. You can't complain, yep. but um, you know, it, it does make things difficult for your original team. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to Penn State. I also want to shout out uh, Wandale Robinson, another transfer for Kentucky. He's by far their leading receiver, over 500 receiving yards in two games. He's a Kentucky high school product who yep. went to Nebraska. Yep. And Ohio State was interested in him. He's a Rondale Moore type. He's that, that slot kind of guy, quick, strong. Transfers back to Kentucky. Here's what he's done in five games at Kentucky this year. Five catches for 101, 
eight for 111, seven for 65, four for 65, and then eight for 60 last week against LSU. Um, it's a Penn State transfer quarterback and Nebraska transfer receiver that are helping fuel this Kentucky offense, and that's the way it works. Credit to Kentucky for being a place that guys like that uh, want to go. All right, so I do think there's a little bit of a cut, a tier here. You know, we're talking about 12, but I think now we're into some pretty legit teams. Who do you have 10th? I will miss 10th. Um, they go and beat Arkansas, like we mentioned, on that very last play of the game by stopping a two-point conversion. Uh, you know, I think that that was the sort of win that we've been waiting to see from them. We'll, we'll kind of see how it ages. I, I'm very curious about that, just with, you know, kind of what Arkansas does from here. But this was their first kind of statement win. I, you know, I know that, that you love talking up that two-lane win, but this is their first win kind of against quality competition. <laughs> um, for me though, I would say, I, I would say that I still have them in kind of that bottom tier. I, I don't think that, uh, you know, they did beat Arkansas, but it's not like it was super dominant. They beat them by one point at home. Um, I'm not necessarily ready to say that I'm willing to put them up a whole nother tier on, uh, on Arkansas and Kentucky at this point. Um, you know, cause, cause again, like Arkansas is probably a similar caliber team to Florida and. Kentucky beat Florida and hasn't lost anybody else. So, uh, so to this point, I, I would have those teams still probably in their own tier. And that's uh, Ole Miss at 10. So here's the thing about Ole Miss. Ole Miss has a path. Yes. They absolutely have a path because their path is win out. And I mean, you know, like you just said, they kind of just got their first good win, but they're at Tennessee, LSU, at Auburn, Liberty. Texas A&M, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State. So, you know, Texas A&M, that's a legit game. But a lot of this is the other teams are like sort of these brand names that aren't that great right now. If they win out and Alabama loses one more time, Ole Miss is going to the SEC championship game. And then they take a shot. So that is the issue. They're only, um, you know, there are, it's early in the SEC season. So there's a couple one-loss teams in the West. Alabama, Ole Miss, Auburn, or Mississippi State, all have one loss in the West Division of the SEC. But Ole Miss, just go beat Auburn, beat Mississippi State, as we said, beat everybody else, and this cross your fingers that Alabama stumbles, and it's there. And then all of a sudden, you're an 11-1 and SEC team in the SEC championship game against Georgia. So that's the thing. When we start, this is sort of the other thing I was talking about. It's like the teams, I said two-loss teams. They're not a two-loss team, but they almost kind of are because their, their loss to Bama is almost like a double loss because you need Bama has lost, but Bama has to lose again. That's that's the thing, Shahad. Some teams you can see like, man, I don't even know how they get there if they win out. Ole Miss has to win out and have one other thing happen. And I want to have that one other thing happen conversation when we get to Alabama. But is that my Ole Miss goggles on or is that like legitimate football analysis of like, listen, do your thing. They missed a bunch of fourth downs against Alabama. If they get rolling and make fourth down conversions in a game, I can see how their offense can kind of take over. Or just just tell me to dro- go drink a what is it a hot toddy is that right a hottie toddy <laughs> a I'm hottie so toddy. I'm so illiterate about Old Miss culture I'm a poser I'm an Old Miss poser <laughs> I've I'm not even sure I I think I've been in the state of Mississippi once and it's like I'm here I am I'm a stand for Old Miss but is there any truth to what I said. <laughs> so so here's the thing that I will say right you're looking at the schedule as Alabama and you're like yeah well if Bama loses one along the way but like. Ole Miss and Bama have very similar, if not almost identical, remaining schedules. Now, Alabama has to play Arkansas, but they get them at home. 
But that's really the only difference between their two schedules. So you talk about, well, Ole Miss should look in front of it and see, oh, well, here's kind of a bunch of somewhat fraudulent SEC West teams. I, I mean, that's true of Bama, too. You know, like you yeah. still have to find that one along the way. So, and, and if I were to say, hey, Ole Miss, Alabama, you guys have the same path forward, I, I kind of feel like Alabama's probably got an easier path, right? Because they're a better football team. Because they have better players. They have the best coach of all time. I get it. I get it. Um, all right. So I still, I had Ole Miss nine. You have Ole Miss 10. I had Ole Miss nine. That means I had Michigan 10. Yeah. Would you have Michigan nine? Yes. Okay. And they just have to show it still, right? We're yeah. just waiting on them. They keep working in JJ McCarthy, little bits and pieces. It's mostly as a running quarterback. I don't know where they're going with that. You know, the run game is still there. They keep kind of being who they are, but it's an effective team, but they're going to play Michigan state. And we're going to figure that out at some point. But I think we're still holding back a little bit on Michigan State. Is that, uh, excuse me, holding back a little bit on Michigan. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd still have them actually probably in that bottom tier with the, with 10 through 12 as well, just because like you mentioned, they haven't really played anybody. The other thing too is that, um, they should have lost to Nebraska. They should not have won that football game. <laughs> I mean, I must brought the, when you said the UTSA stuff, it's like UTSA beat Illinois, Illinois beat Nebraska, and Nebraska <laughs> probably should have beaten Michigan. So it's like we're doing the transitive property stuff. But it's one of those things, again, we sort of played the game on the Tuesday podcast, good loss or bad loss for Oklahoma. Good loss or bad loss for Michigan. It's like Michigan's, uh, you know, feels like they're going to lose. Adrian Martinez then commits a turnover at the end of the game that has Scott Frost pulling his hair out. You know, Adrian Martinez for Nebraska is a hard guy to wrap your head around because, I don't know, he's kind of like the – he's been like the four-year Zach Calzada of the Big Ten. <laughs> that's, like not, should, that's not fair. That's, that's not, not fair. fair to Zach Calzada. The, the other I, thing – well, the thing with Nebraska, too, is that literally everything offensively is on Adrian Martinez's shoulders. They don't have anybody else who kind of is a dynamic playmaker for them. He has to create it all. And and the reason that I've leaned towards bad win for, uh, for Michigan is that – I think that they kind of backed their way into that win. And, and again, they made the play. They, they stripped the ball from Adrian Martinez on a play that Adrian Martinez could not lose the football. But like it, it wasn't like, Oh my gosh, like Michigan's defense stood up and you know, their offense did great things. It was like, Oh, Hey, there's the ball. We got it. Uh, let's kick a field goal. And so, um, you know. Cool. I, I'm not worried about Michigan to this point. I think that these sort of games happen. I mean, Nebraska is a tough place to play legitimately. Um, but yeah, same sort of deal. I don't think I can kind of put them into this top eight group, uh, short of somebody losing again, of course, uh, until that Michigan State game. And really, whoever wins that Michigan State game, I think immediately jumps not just into the conversation, but real high in the conversation. Michigan off this coming week, then Northwestern at home before they go to East Lansing on October 30th. So we're kind of in agreement so far. We just had Michigan and Old Miss flip-flop. So who do you have eight, Shahan? This is where it gets interesting. I have Oregon. Um, I think that they still are there, per se. I think that they still, if they go and win out, then they deserve to be you know, they deserve to finish the year and uh, in, in the college football playoff. I think for me, the thing that's been more concerning is just I don't think that I've seen them play their best football since that Ohio State game. And the other thing, too, is that and I think that when this real sort of ranking comes out, like Ohio State, at least at the beginning, probably needs to be behind Oregon. But like 
I think that Ohio State has played better, and I think that Oregon's getting worse. So it's like if you ask me right now what's a higher-quality team, I, I don't know that I'm super confident that it's Oregon. And I hate being this guy, right, because I think that people cop out to that all the time. They're like, oh, well, the the, the team that I thought was better the whole time, they probably would be better. And, and like, it's a lazy cop-out. But I do think right now that Oregon's heading in a little bit of the wrong direction. I, I want to see them play really well this week against Cal. Um, you know, the good news, uh, the good news, by the way, is that um, is that according to the Athletic, offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead should be back this upcoming week against Cal. Uh, it's, thankfully, it doesn't sound like it was anything too serious. Um you know, we'll kind of have to see if that makes a difference. And that's the other thing, too. If, if Joe Moorhead comes back and they just look like, oh, my gosh, such a more dynamic offensive team, then maybe I'm willing to write off some of that Stanford loss. But uh, but I kind of want to see them put some good football together um, because, yeah, I, I think that we haven't seen that really since uh, since they beat Ohio State. It is a philosophical debate, and I think sometimes get people get tired of the philosophical debate because – I'm very strong on if you've won that head to head to head and you have the same record, then I'm going to have the team that won the head to head ahead of the team. But all the points you made about Oregon are true. I have Oregon five for that reason. I have Oregon higher than Ohio State. But the other thing is Oregon is falling apart. CJ Verdell, who ran for 170 yards against Ohio State, is out for the year. Kayvon Thibodeau got a targeting call at the end of the Stanford game, wasn't on the field at the end of the Stanford game, is out for the first half against Cal. As you said, Joe Moorhead was not calling plays for the Stanford game. Huge loss, but it seems like he's coming back. That's a big deal. They have quarterback issues. Anthony Brown did not play well without Joe Moorhead. People are saying Ty Thompson, as a freshman, should he get in? Mario Cristobal this week kind of said, no, Anthony Brown gives us the best chance to win. So they don't seem on the edge of a quarterback change, but they keep getting hurt. They keep having terrible things happen, but yet they still have – one of the three best wins in college football so far this year. I don't know. It might be the best win. There's still a great argument for that. And then if you – like, they're on the edge of falling apart, but it's like, well, I'll keep ranking them high until they totally fall apart and lose again and everything catches up to them that we think is going to catch up with them. But what if Kayvon Thibodeau comes back, not just in the second half of the Cal game, but the rest of the year, and just as a game wrecker? And what if it was like the offense, it really was just Joe Moorhead was out? That was almost all of the deal. They have Travis Dye. He's a good running back. They'll be okay. They get Joe Moorhead back, Colin plays, and they roll, right? That I think like that's there. So I'm going to wait to knock Oregon until I'm sure they're falling apart, not while I think they're falling apart, because you can also see how they might get put back together again. So you have them eight. I have them five. Who do you have? Seven. I have Penn State seven. So, uh, you know, I, I think that this is just a situation where they lose a game and it kind of puts them behind the eight ball a little bit because now they have a loss in conference, uh, which, you know, I mean, Ohio State doesn't have right now, right? So they're going to be going up against them. And also Michigan, you know, also does not have a loss in conference right now. So their margin for error in the Big Ten is going to be really tight. They really have to win that Ohio State game, um, you know, and probably that Michigan game too. Uh, so I think that their path is just a little bit more difficult. And, uh, it, the other thing, too, is I, I don't actually know if we've seen an update on Sean Clifford at this point. Um, I don't think we have as we record here. Right, right. So it, it might come today on Tuesday or Wednesday or well, I don't know what day it is. Anyway, but, uh, you know, so by the time this podcast comes out, maybe we'll have an update on it. But if Sean Clifford's out, then this is like this is real big trouble, right? Like this is real big trouble. And they 
they play Ohio State on October 30th. So hopefully Sean Clifford should be back for that. But they get Ohio State. They get at Maryland, who's kind of a tricky team. They get Michigan at home. And then they have to play Michigan State on the road in the final game of the year. So, like, again, they have to win all of those games. That's really, really difficult. And for what they've shown so far, again, I mean, Wisconsin's fallen apart. Auburn's fallen apart. Indiana's fallen apart. Like, I don't know that we know exactly what the upside of this team is right now. So for that reason, I have them number seven. Who do you think is a better football team when they're everybody's healthy, Penn State or Iowa? I think that I think that Penn State probably is. The issue is that I because again we're we're approaching this like the committee, right? Like that's what we're doing. And and I'll and I'll say I'll say right now, right? I have Iowa number two right now because I'm approaching this like the committee. They have some of the best wins in college football. I don't think that they're the second best team in the country. I don't think that they just have the path. They just have, again, again, we'll get to it in a second. Like I think that Iowa can win the rest of their games and lose in the big 10 championship game and still potentially make the playoff. But because despite the fact that I was number two right now, I don't think that they're the second best team in college football. So the thing is, we have seen the committee though, in the past take injuries into account. Sure. Right. Was it the Kelly Bryant year for Clemson when Kelly Bryant got hurt and they lost it? Syracuse or something and they kept talking about that injury and like the idea that we could be talking about like the Sean Clifford injury like that Sean Clifford is an All-American it's like well he's not an All-American but he was a lot better than the backup and when Sean Clifford was in the game he was in the game for 34 snaps in that Iowa game Penn State gained 208 yards in those 34 snaps 6.1 yards per play the 43 snaps without Sean Clifford Penn State gained 79 yards 1.8 1.8 yards per play. Yeah. So the drop-off is so substantial. Now, again, Iowa wins the turnover battle like Iowa always does, 4-1. to one. So Iowa did what it does. And I do – it was 17-3 when Clifford went out, but he went out like on a third down play, and then Iowa got the ball back and drove for a touchdown. And that had nothing to do with whether Sean Clifford was hurt or not. So it was really 17-10 when Sean Clifford – but when they started having to play the backup. So it's only a one-score game when that happens – and we'll we'll talk a little more about Iowa, but it's it's very hard. It's it makes it even more complicated. The committee's going to have some complicated stuff, Shahan, when it gets down to it. But it's going to be even more complicated when you have just a devastating injury like that. And we already talked about the backup quarterback a little bit. Ohio State, the year Justin Fields was their quarterback, the first year in 2019, they did not really have a backup quarterback. They had some guys leave because Justin Fields came, and they were sort of like, well, guys, and they're in and out. If they if they had had a Justin Fields injury in the middle of a game, it's possible in 2019 when Ohio State had an undefeated regular season and went to the playoff that Ohio State would have lost a game because their backup quarterback didn't look ready and they were just lucky enough that that didn't happen. So I am a little conflicted. Penn State looked in the portal to try to see once Will Levis left, I think in January, they looked to see if they could get a guy. They said like they kind of couldn't find somebody. There wasn't a fit. And so they're left here. Penn State has a, a, a senior in high school right now in the Cleveland area who's throwing for 500 yards a, ga- a game. His name's Drew Aller. If he keeps his commitment to Penn State, he's committed right now. I assume he will. 
I think he'll be the starting quarterback there as a true freshman next year. He's unbelievable. I think if they would have had Drew Aller as a high school player in Iowa, if you could have done that, I think they might have won that game. They're kind of caught in between for one year. So they blew it by not having a backup quarterback who was ready. They didn't help this player get ready, Taquan Roberson. But I'm conflicted a little bit about how much to hang that on the coaching staff. Is it like, listen, it's the transfer world. You've got it. It's on you. You've got to figure it out. And Or it's not that you feel sorry for him, but is it understandable why Penn State got caught in a situation where they just didn't have a second quarterback who was ready to play? I think that the thing that's a little – I don't want to say unacceptable, but the thing that I think makes this tougher is that Sean Clifford is a quarterback who's gotten banged up before and also is a quarterback who is willing to use his legs and get hit. And so when you know those two things about a quarterback, and I, I would argue some of those same things about Justin Fields, although Fields is a, is a much more physically gifted player. Uh, I feel like that's something you have to take into account, right? Like I feel like if you're the Penn State staff, you have to know that Sean Clifford's probably going to get hurt at some point this season. So uh, I do think that that's at least a little on him. The, the other thing is that not only did, uh, not only did Will Levis leave, they had another kid, uh, Micah Bowens, I think his name was, who transferred to Oklahoma. So you're talking about two backup quarterbacks leaving over the offseason. And I don't know if Penn State realized that their team could have this special a year. You know, I, I don't know if Penn State staff realized that they had a potential top five case, a potential college football playoff case that potentially, of course, I was, uh, that Ohio State could lose a game. Um, I, I don't know if they realized that going into this year. And so I think that, I, I think that it's on them though to figure that out. It's on them to manage their quarterbacks. It's on them to, to find that production. And the thing too is that you mentioned, right? Like not having a guy having a guy hurt. I mean, even last year, I think is a good example. You know, uh, Trevor Lawrence goes out with COVID and, and they lose to Notre Dame. And I think that's obviously they not the opportunity to come back and beat Notre Dame in the ACC title game. But still, I think that they were able to kind of write that off because of that. And the one thing that I will say though is I don't know whether they're going to, I, I think that they can take that context into account, uh, in a game like Penn State losing to Iowa, but I don't know whether they're going to like, knock Iowa for that you know what I mean like I, I think that they're going to give Iowa full credit for that win anyways so I don't know how much that's going to end up mattering but you know but I, I think right now for me the reason that I have Penn State number seven as well is more because of what they have in front of them and what I think that they're not going to be able to do for the rest of the year okay all right so we, we have a little conflict here now you have Oregon eight I have Oregon five you have Penn State seven. I have Penn State six. That means we, I have not said my eight or my seven yet. Okay. I have Ohio State eight. Okay. But it's possible – this is where it gets complicated. It's possible that that is way too low based on how they're playing um, because our guy Sundeep asked uh, – on the on the tech subscription again eight one seven four four two six seven eight nine, he asked, "Is Ohio State the second best team in the country after Georgia?" He says, "Doug, I want your opinion on it, not what the polls say." It's it's actually he goes by Sunny, so Sunny from New Jersey is asking that. I think it's possible. Is it possible, Shahan, that I could have Ohio State eighth in this ranking as I'm thinking like a committee member right now, but also believe that maybe Ohio State is the second best or in the running to be the second, quote, best team in the country? Can those two things both be true? I think that it definitely can be. So so George is number one. I, uh, you know, hey, spoiler alert, George is number one in my ranking. Um, 
I think that when you get to that number two spot, again, Iowa has earned that number two spot at this point. I don't know if I would pick Iowa straight up head to head, right? I, I think that it for that number two spot, I was in consideration, but probably not top of my list. I think Ohio State could uh, has a case for number two. I think that Cincinnati probably has as good a case as any for number two. I think that Oklahoma still has a case for number two. And I think that even Alabama has a case for number two. And so I definitely think that Ohio State still has a case to be the second best team in America, which I think is, is a testament to how open this year is that a team that's as flawed as Ohio State, that a team that's as flawed as Oklahoma, both have a case for number two. But uh, nothing's over yet. I, I mean, I think that, again, it feels like they've turned a little bit of a corner. It, it would be nice to see them turn that corner against a quality opponent at some point. But like, yeah, I think that it's definitely a possibility that even though you have Ohio State eight in your ranking, they might still be right now the second best team in America. Matthew asked this question, Shaham, which goes along with this. If you forget resumes, which three teams have the best chance of developing into something that can beat Georgia by the time we get to the college football playoff? The thing, Shahan, that I hate about this, but also is I don't know how you get away from it. When people ask questions like that, and it's, it's, it's kind of the whole deal. Right. It's like it's not just about where are we? It's where are we going to be by the first weekend in December? It's hard to get away from recruiting rankings and talent accumulation. <laughs> right. Because it's like, well, who are you going to say? Like, well, we're going to say the teams that have what we think are the most amount of the best players who maybe are still finding their way. So if I'm trying to say which three teams have the best chance, well, I'm going to go to Ohio State with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Trevion Henderson as offensive playmakers and quarterback and C.J. Stroud, who is absolutely doing everything Ohio State wants him to do right now and more. They have a great offensive line, and their defense is starting to figure it out a little bit. And then I'm probably going to go to Bama, right? They still have Bryce Young. They still have Will Anderson. Brian Robinson looks like a pretty darn good back. They, they still have all these guys. They didn't get it done when they needed to. And then it's like you go to Oklahoma and it's like, well, if Caleb Williams gets that offense going, yeah, their offensive line is is not what it should be. But Kennedy Brooks and Marvin Mims and a couple playmakers on defense, like we get back to the exact same team, Shahan. But is that because we do not have – I'm just – I'm simple-minded and I'm tunnel-visioned? <laughs> or do you always in questions like this fall back – on talent accumulation and and you just wait for it to come together. I think it's hard not to just because I, I think right now the thing that Georgia has and the reason that they were a bad matchup for Arkansas and the reason why I think they're going to be a bad matchup for Kentucky as well is because you have a team that I think can kind of beat you one-on-one -on -one at every position on the field, right? And that's going to be the challenge that any team that's not one of those three and even even any team that is those three is going to face is that they don't have a matchup that they can clearly win. And so I think, uh, you know, because let, let's take those teams. Let's take our four sort of superpower teams that we've kind of identified at the beginning of the year. So sorry, Clemson, you're out of consideration for this question. Right. Uh, but, you know, let's take them out for a second. So I think the team that's intriguing to me is Cincinnati. So Cincinnati played Georgia last year and should have beaten Cincinnati, uh, beaten Georgia in the bowl game. Georgia does come back to eventually win the game. And they do this against a fully healthy JT Daniels. They do this against a fully healthy George Pickens. Uh, like, this was a good Georgia team. We can argue about, oh, you know, they weren't in the playoff or whatever, whatever. I, I don't care about that stuff. I'm, I'm, I can't judge how much Georgia cares if, if we just count their poor performances as them not caring. 
But I mean, this was a 24-21 game. And the thing that I like about Cincinnati is that defensively, like they can man up any Georgia receiver. They can take any, Sauce Gardner can take any player out of the game if he wants to. And he can make this Georgia team one dimensional. And on the defensive line, they can compete. I'm not saying that they can win every single play, but they can compete well enough. And on the other side, the thing that I like about Cincinnati and the thing that I think that Desmond Ritter brings to the table is I think that he can make things happen when the game is messy, right? Like I, I think that he is somebody who can just, if there's running room, he'll take running room. If he sees an underneath route, he'll take it. If he sees a guy over the top, he'll take it. And he won't be perfect on those, but I mean, he threw for, he only averaged about five yards an attempt against Georgia, but like it's Georgia. It's the best defense in college football. Uh, he threw two interceptions, 206 yards, no, or two touchdowns, no interceptions, 206 yards, right? So like, they found ways to move the ball against Georgia. Eventually they kind of, uh, eventually they kind of tired themselves out, unfortunately. But, um, but I do think that with this team back, I think that they're the one team that brought virtually everybody back that's kind of played like it to this point. I'm not saying that they could beat Georgia. I'm not saying that I would pick that straight up, but I think that they are an intriguing option with the way that they play football. That is a really interesting point. That is, this is the kind of thing I think that happens, Shahan. That's a compelling in-the-room committee case, right? That when you're talking about, well, who should be in? Well, how do you think this team can really – like you can make a compelling, I think, Cincinnati case that goes beyond the resume, that goes beyond being 13-0. and They have to get to 13-0 and to have the chance to do it. But that it's not for Cincinnati at this point. They've done what they had to do against Indiana and Notre Dame. But then that's – even though they're – going to fall off in terms of their uh, resume with their games coming up, their case doesn't necessarily have to fall off because I think some of the things you're talking about with some of the individual players they have, the, the, the things around them, whether it's not that last year matters necessarily, but it's, it's absorbed. I think Cincinnati is really interesting. I will tell you the tech subscribers, I asked this question, not based on resume ranking, but based on how they're playing now and their potential. If Georgia is the best team in the country, which team is the second best Overwhelming for Ohio State. We still have a lot of uh, Ohio listeners. (laughs) Alabama second, and then basically practically nobody else got a vote. Sure. So it was Ohio State 62%, Alabama 31%, Iowa 3%, Cincinnati 2%, and then Oklahoma, Penn State, Michigan, Oregon didn't get a vote. So that's where we are. We're kind of in conflict with who's the best, who's the most deserving right now. That's why, again, these rankings are a little – uh, hinky to some degree. So I have Ohio State eight. Where do you have Ohio State, Shahan? I have them six. Uh, I mentioned, you know, for me, Penn State, it's really more of a, a question of their quality than it is a question of comparing resumes. I don't think that their resumes are that different because I don't think either of them have especially played anybody. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think it is h- hard to make the argument that Oregon should be two spots behind Ohio State. Like, it's probably one that if I did this over again, I'd reconsider. But I do think that just Oregon is playing better right now. I, I think that Ohio State is playing better. Ohio State, excuse me, is playing better. Man, it is it is early in the morning. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on in my head. But uh, but Ohio State, I think, is playing better right now. I want to see them do it before I feel like confident that they should be there, uh, that they should be ahead of Oregon. They they need to do it against somebody who has a pulse, and they haven't really had a chance to do that as yet. Uh, but I still think in terms of overall quality, I, I think that Ohio State is starting to separate itself from that bottom half of our list. All right. You have Ohio State six. I have Ohio State eight. I have Bama seven. 
I have Bama behind Penn State and Oregon. Where do you have Bama? I have Bama five. And I, I think that I think that for me it just comes down to I still think that they're potentially, you know, better than, than almost anybody. Now their their loss is the worst on this list, maybe? If I, I mean I think so, right? I'm trying to think if there's another loss that's worse because like Arkansas has only lost to Ole Miss and uh Ole Miss and Georgia, right? Like I mean there really isn't, I guess Oregon to Stanford would be the other bad loss on this list, but those are comparable losses at least. And Alabama, admittedly, like you said, does not have the sort of win over Ohio State that Oregon has kind of make up for it. So I, I definitely get the argument for having them lower. I think that I'm just in a place because they did beat Ole Miss. Uh, they did beat Ole Miss handily, and then they beat wait, Florida. wait, wait. You do not get to count an Ole Miss win as a good win. Now you hate Ole Miss. Yeah, but it's a top twenty win. I'm just saying that they're not a top four team. I am not going to let you come in here with your <laughs> hot toddy, your hottie toddy, <laughs> and use Ole Miss, Ole Miss for your own uh, points, Shahan. <laughs> When all you do on this podcast is dismiss Ole Miss, and then when it's time to talk about a good Bama win, here we go. <laughs> it's a, it is a top 20 level win, and it was by three touchdowns. And by the way, the fact that it was by three touchdowns and was never close and was 35 to seven at one point is in fact a reason why I don't think that Ole Miss is a real contender, but they do have a win over Ole Miss. They have a win again over a, a top 25 to 30 caliber Florida. Um, on the road. And so like they do have wins. And so when I, when I look at the quality of these teams, right? Like that, I do think that it, the resumes are close enough that I feel okay looking at quality at that point, that, that I feel okay looking at efficiency, that I feel okay looking at the advanced metrics and stuff like that. So I still think that Alabama is a really good team. And the other thing too is that you play that A&M game 10 times. Like this was just like, this, this was the, uh, this was the Dr. Strange and Avengers being like, there's 1.3 billion outcomes and here's the one that works. Like that happened, right? Like that just, that's just a thing that happens. Sometimes that happens against Alabama because everybody wakes up every single day of the year being like, man, I'd love to beat Bama. And sometimes just every little thing works out and I don't want to overreact. Uh, now, if, if they go and even play poorly against Mississippi State on the road, if they don't flatten Mississippi State, then I, I'm going to get worried. But I think that I'm willing at this point to kind of say, oh, wow, that's a thing that happened. What is Dr. Strange? Is he like a podiatrist? <laughs> is he a chemist? What's his doctor? Is he just like a – is he a PhD? Is he, is he a medical doctor? Do you know? Uh I watched the movie and I don't remember that part. He, yeah, they should have showed that part. That should be in his origin story of him like going to medical school. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, uh, look, I, what I know for certain is that Dr. Strange can look into the future and see how it's all going to work out. And uh, and apparently Jimbo Fisher has a good relationship with him because he found a dang way to put together a game plan that was like the one in three trillion chance that could beat Bama. And it happened. So Again, I don't I don't want to overreact too much until I see that it's going to carry over or that this is a trend. At this point, I don't think it's a trend. So I did ask the texters if they thought it was a trend. Alabama at five and one after losing to Texas AM. They finished the regular season at Mississippi State versus Tennessee versus LSU versus New Mexico State versus Arkansas at Auburn. Will Alabama lose one of those games? Yes or no? 
What percent do you think said yes, Alabama's going to lose again of our tech subscribers, Shahan? I'll say 70%. You said 70% think Alabama will lose again? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 oh, no. Other no, direction? No, other no, direction? No. 16%, 16%. Listen, there might be an Ohio yeah. lean still here, but these are college football people who know yeah. what's up. I think it's possible. It's I, possible. I got, like, you've got, you know, this to me, because listen, Arkansas, again, like Arkansas couldn't handle Georgia, but then they played right with Ole Miss and like, I, I don't know, Sam Pittman, like that, you know, Bo Nix at Auburn. I don't know. There's just a couple, probably those two. I don't know that Mike Leach is going to get them next week. Please don't talk to me about Bo Nix. Don't, don't even try to put that into your head. Isn't he turbo Zach Calzada? Doesn't Bo Nix, couldn't Bo Nix play like 10 bad games a year and two interesting, really good games and rise up and beat Bama in the Iron Bowl at the end? I, I'm not, we have plenty of time to get to that, but I'm just saying my question, the, the point of it is this, Shahan. And people do want me to take my victory lap for my, eh, isn't it possible? <laughs> Probably, maybe, could Texas A&M? Because Texas A&M did find a way. They got really good quarterback play. They got really good quarterback play from Zach Calzada. Their playmakers made plays when they had to. I know you'd been down on the A&M receivers a little bit this year. They made some plays when they had to. The touchdown catch at the end. Widermeyer at tight end is, a, is, a, is an issue. The two running backs are awesome. Their offensive line did play better. And then defensively, you know, DeMarvin Leal and a couple guys, like they, people made plays when they needed to. And then Bama just is not as hyper explosive as a year ago. And Jamison Williams and John Metchie are really good, but like they're not Devontae Smith. They're just not. And Bryce Young is really good, but like in a crunch time right now, just because he's young, right? He hasn't been through it. I'm not saying they look vulnerable. But I don't know – and by the way, it's like I also want to give like Texas A&M a little bit of a side swipe because it's like if Texas A&M had not lost to Mississippi State, Texas A&M would be right there right now, Shahan. They would be practically in the driver's seat for a playoff spot if they had managed to beat Mississippi State. So it's like I'm sure there are Texas A&M fans banging their head against the wall this week of like what a great Bama win, but did we already ruin it? By by not just losing to Arkansas, but following that up with like an inexcusable Mississippi State loss. So I, I do think Texas A&M, if you went by let's go to a neutral field with your talent and play a game, I think Texas A&M might be a top 10 team. Is that fair when Zach, when Zach Calzada, when they get good quarterback play, do you think they might be a top 10 team with some of the elite talent they have or is that going too far? I think it's the same deal where I want to see like them do it twice, you know, cause like th- this, this is not what this offensive line looks like a week ago. This is not what Zach Calzado looked like a week ago. Like he completed 12 of his fir- first 13 passes, right? Like this was a, this was an out of body experience for Zach Calzada. Now I do think one thing legitimately is that he had been playing so scared all year, right? Like he looked, you could see it in his eyes when he walked off the field. Like he looked scared and I think that after this kind of game, sometimes I can just give a kid confidence, right? Like, like we talk, not to get into Bo Nix, right? But like Bo Nix's first game was beating Justin Herbert straight up. And I think that that's colored the rest of his career where he thinks he can do anything. And that gets him into trouble a lot. But it also, I think, 
has allowed him to play confident. So that's something where maybe that's that's a trend, right? Uh, I will mention though, I did go back and listen to the end of last week's episode just to to remember exactly what you said, right? Because I was like, <laughs> what I said, I was very clear. I was like, basically the Doctor Strange thing. I don't see the one scenario where this works out. I don't even know what that looks like. Um, it turns out that uh, that what you said was basically true. So so to mention, right? So you said you wanted to give the ball to the running backs basically 60 times, right? Um, out of their 48 plays that were either a carry or a catch, I'm not counting incompletions, I don't, whatever. Um, 41 of them went to either Isaiah Spiller, Devon Chen, Anaya Smith, who played running back last year for them and is more of kind of a flex piece for them, or Jalen Weidermeyer, the tight end. So they ran the all good players play <laughs> and it Love worked it. out pretty well. And, and the thing too, right. And this is even the thing that I think that um, I think that Texas A&M has that other teams can't keep up with is like their defensive line stepped up and played a great game. They really gave that right tackle hell for Alabama. And so this is obviously in so many ways, the team that we hope to see at some point this season, I want to see them carry it forward. I, I want to see Jimbo Fisher keep calling games that are conducive to Zach Calzada. Cause that's really right. been the issue all year. He's been calling games for Kellen Mond, you know, through the first couple of games, even though Zach Calzada is under center. I, I think in this game, he adjusted really well. He really leaned on that running game and I, I think it paid off in a big way. So, Hey, you know what? I, I think that it's, uh, I, I don't know. Pick your favorite expression for, for the unlikely way that, that Doug picked this, but you know, needle in a haystack, clock being wrong, uh, right twice a day, whatever you want to <laughs> pick. Uh, congratulations. It happens. I backed into it. Dumb guy backs into it. <laughs> But I will. So, but the idea of Bama vulnerability. Yes. It's one of those things. It's by the Bama standard, right? Yes. And I think it's either by the Bama standard of, because I think people thought their defense was was pretty darn good. And then they didn't really get the stops they needed to at any point in that game. They're young in the secondary. I think that's something that's important to mention. And then offensively, they're good. They're not as good as last year. And their quarterback is young. So, it takes the right combination of things, but certainly there are times, and it's a little bit like Oregon, Ohio State, right? It, it, that, but you have to have enough pieces. So Texas A&M had enough pieces and used them correctly. Oregon against Ohio State, they were missing Kayvon Thibodeau, but Noah Sewell, a five-star linebacker, played a great game. C.J. Verdell at running back had an awesome game, and they got him the ball and let him get to work. And then they had a play caller who called a great game. Like you have to have enough talent to give yourself a shot. Then you have to use that talent the exact right way. But both Ohio State and Alabama, I think their losses are similar in that it's not that they were like set up for a loss, but they had a couple more vulnerabilities, most of it based on inexperience than they do in in other years. And if you have enough elite talent at a couple spots, you have a chance to take advantage of it. And that's what happened in these two games. So I think, again, are Oregon and Texas A&M across the board as complete as Ohio State and Alabama? No. But if Ohio State and Alabama give you an opening, teams like Texas A&M and Oregon have enough dudes here and there to take advantage of it. So I don't want to say that Bama is vulnerable, but I think there are openings at certain times. And then it's just a matter of, is anybody in the second half of their schedule able to take advantage of it again the way Texas A&M took advantage of it? And I think you would look and say, Probably not, and I think that's that's probably reasonable, but I think it's worth being a little on alert for. So I did want to make sure we worked in the fact that, you know, 
16%, of the people thought Alabama might be looking at a loss. But when you go through it, it's kind of hard to find it. So yeah. you have Bama yeah. five. I have Bama seven. I assume we're zeroing in on a very similar top four here. Yes. Who is your four? My four is Oklahoma. All right. I'm going to stop you there. Listen to the Tuesday pod, everybody. We've got Oklahoma figured out. So that's the deal with Oklahoma. If you want an in-depth Oklahoma conversation, we already had it. Is Cincinnati year three? It is. And again, this is very much a, this is very much a, Hey, Iowa has the wins. They have the playoff case. They've played at a high level. I don't, again, we, we can have the conversation about who's number two in the country right now. We can have the conversation about who's built to beat Georgia. I don't think that Iowa in any way is built to beat Georgia, but I don't think that there's a way to have this right now. That's not Georgia one, Iowa two, Cincinnati three, and really Oklahoma four. So you've made some really good points on Cincinnati. I want to get a couple text or questions in here from Doug. Is Cincinnati a genuinely viable playoff team? Their schedule from here on in is terrible. And the Indiana and Notre Dame big wins are getting worse by the week. I just don't see it. And then we had a question from Greg. How real should we think about Cincinnati? If Michigan State played in the American and beat a mediocre Indiana and Notre Dame, would they get the same attention? I like everything Cincinnati is doing, but I think they'd get smoked in the playoffs and they won't bring the ratings that ESPN needs in the playoffs either. So I get where people are from that standpoint. I do get that. But you already made the case here, Shahan. I think there is like an exact opposite case for that, that listen, they have some elite players on defense. They have a quarterback who is one of the best, you know, most reliable, experienced, smartest, dynamic, playmaking, run threat, pass threat quarterbacks in the country. They have a legit running back. They have a couple guys you can throw it to. And that in a year when there's not a super team, I would be careful of underestimating Cincinnati's talent base. I really think that I, I want to just dig in on more and more on Cincinnati while they're playing some of these lesser teams in the next month and a half. But I think Shahan, I, I think, I think people might not realize how talented Cincinnati actually is. Yeah. I mean, look, are they as talented as Georgia? No, they're not. But I think a lot of this with Cincinnati, cause, cause we mentioned, uh, we mentioned SMU, of course. And like the thing that Cincinnati has that no other group of five team in America has, and really almost no other team in America has, is I do think that what they did last year and the quality with which they played last year does factor into this, right? I mean, this is a team that did go toe-to-toe with Georgia down the stretch. This is a team that did beat multiple top 25 teams last season to finish undefeated. And now this year, you play against an Indiana team that, uh, you know, does not look very good right now, but has Big Ten quality talent. And then you you play a team in Notre Dame, that same sort of deal. They're very, very talented, and they really held them underwater, right? And so... Yeah. I think that I'm in a position right now, we talked about it a little bit. I mean, the ACC this year and the Pac-12 this year are not good, right? They're not good. I think that they are not dissimilar in quality to the AAC. And I don't think that this is a great year for the AAC, but like, I just think that that's where we're at right now, right? Like, I think that we're in a position right now where the Big Ten and SEC might just have a lot of the best teams. And so, yes, those teams will have to be more battle-tested. If if you're asking me, hey, would uh, would Cincinnati go through the Big Ten East and beat every single one of the top 10 teams on its schedule? 
I don't know whether any of the teams in the Big Ten, Big Ten East are going to do that, right? Like that's a really hard path for any team. That's a, that's a hard path for Alabama. That's a hard path for Ohio State. I, I don't think that, I, I think that sometimes we get so caught up in like, oh, well, would they beat Alabama and Georgia in the same year? And it's like, that's not a knock to me. Right. Like, right. I, I just right. don't think Who that would? most teams, right. right. You know, I mean, could you do the thing that's impossible for any team in college football? No, I don't think they could. But, but I think that they've done enough to this point. I think that they've been impressive enough to this point. Um, and in the second half of the year, they can't just win these games. They have to be convincing. They can't edge out four of these last six games. Oklahoma can do that. Oklahoma can edge out these games and get to 13 and 0 and they'll get be a playoff team. I, I don't think that Cincinnati can get away with that, but I mean, Gosh, you, you look at the rest of Oklahoma's schedule. Oklahoma only has one ranked team left on its schedule. You look at the entire ACC right now that, you know, Wake Forest only has one ranked team, number 22 left on its schedule. Like, this is not to me, especially in this given year, a compelling argument to leave a team out of the playoff that there's not enough ranked teams in its, uh, in its conference. And so I think that if they go through and they finish 13 and 0 and, or, uh, yeah, 13 and 0 and especially do that for the second year in a row, it's hard for me to make the argument because I also do think that they have high end talent that has proven that it can hold its own against other high end talents. Cincinnati noon kickoff at home against Central Florida. On Saturday. So again, UCF, they're one of those schools. They beat Boise this year. They're three and two. You know, they're a team that's got a little, a little bit of talent, get some Florida guys in there. So that's, that's worth watching. It's a little bit of a lighter schedule this week. We've had some kind of barn burners, um, in college football this year. So I think, I think the schedule not quite there this year, uh, this week, excuse me. I do want to note really quickly as we get to the top two. A question that I would maybe like us to think about digging in on in one of the pods next week, Shahan, because, again, as I want to challenge our assumptions, Carl asked this question. It feels as if Georgia is just being crowned the greatest in the in college football so far. Please do a thorough comparison between them and Iowa to either concur or to not concur with that premise. So the one thing we've done, and then we had someone else, and I think we can do this again also next week. Chris said – can you put the top 10 or so into tiers? I find tiers more helpful than a firm ranking at this point. Maybe next week, Shahan, we can do our ranking as tiers and just think about tiers and what we mean by our tiers and that kind of thing. Not tiers, not T-E-A-R-S, my tiers. I cry at everything. Are you a crier, by the way? Are you a crier? I'm not. I'm not a crier. You're not? No. That's so interesting. You're a, you are a smiling, upbeat, happy-go-lucky guy who never cries. And I am a grumpy, cranky jerk who cries all the time. <laughs> I cry all the time. I cry at uh, about my kids. I cry when I see like uh, a toddler playing in a sandbox at the playground. <laughs> and it's like just the joy of the world around us. I'll, I'll cry if I see a stranger being nice to another stranger. That makes me cry. It is a... I don't know if it's related or in direct conflict that I walk around most of the time wanting to punch everybody. And then the 15% of the time that I don't want to punch anyone, I'm crying at how nice people are. See, see, I, I think that these things are related though. You, I think go through, uh, I, I think that you go through the world assuming everything's going to be bad. And, uh, and when you see, Oh wow, that wasn't so bad. Uh, then you know what? like, you're like, wow, that, that really hits me. That really hits me close. Whereas for me, I think that I enter these things and I'm like, is there a way that I can make this good? 
And if not, then I just kind of have to move myself on mentally. <laughs> and if, if so, then, uh, you know, then, then there you go. There was a, we were at a thing a couple years ago where there was a teenager working a water fountain and the water fountain like kind of shot too far and splashed on the ground. And there was a thing where a lot of people were there and the teenager went over, left and went over and like got a paper towel and wiped up the water on the floor which is not a thing I expect a teenager to do, to think like, hey, I don't want someone to slip on this water. It wasn't my fault the water shot, but I will just take care of this business. And I talk about it. I'm, I'm talking about it on a podcast three hours after the fact. The small little things in life, I talk about it with my family once a week. And the people who clean up water fountain spills so a stranger doesn't slip because I just assume everybody's a jerk. So, yeah, I am at a heightened sense. I am in a heightened state most of the time, ready to fight and then or also ready to be moved to tears. And and I will say, right, uh, you know, you, you've mentioned before, right, like, you know, you got kids, you got kids who are growing up, getting older. Like, I think right now, right, I'm in I'm in like the pre that phase of life. Right. Yeah. Whereas like you're kind of reaching the you're kind of reaching the end of, of some of that road. And so I think that now you're looking back and and I've got nothing to look back on as yet. I'm cats in the cradle and all over the place over here, man. It is wild. It is wild. All right. So the thing that I I think Carl brings up is as we get to a spot where we both have Georgia one, we both have Iowa two, right? So, I mean, we all agree on that. When we both think that Iowa and Georgia both have great defenses, right? And I think we can really maybe analyze their defenses by SP plus ratings. Georgia has the number one defense. Iowa has the number four defense. Wisconsin actually has the number two defense in there, and I don't even know who number three is. Overall, SP plus ratings, Georgia's one, Iowa's 16. Again, you can't go by all of these. Clemson is fifth, right, at three and two. It's like some of it is based on some things. Bill Conley does a great job, but there are times when it doesn't really apply. Yeah. Some of it is predictive. Like that's, that's a big thing. And some of it, uh, a lot of it heading into the year is built around, uh, returning production it's based around uh, recruiting rankings that stuff does matter so like efficiency is a huge part of it but it's only one part of it and so you know and part of that is an idea to be predictive right that's even though ohio state lost earlier in the year they obviously still have a lot of talent so like that has to be taken into account so ohio state's number two in the sp plus but also arizona state is 12 and cincinnati's 13 and it's like Arizona State. like I, So the bottom line is I think our assumption, and as we've talked about tiers and as we've talked about things, Georgia's clearly number one. And then we're saying we're not even sure Iowa should be number two, but who else are you going to put there? Carl's asking, compare Georgia and Iowa. Are we sure they're that different? Because they both are teams, right, that especially while JT Daniels isn't playing and especially while the Georgia playmakers are still partially injured, Georgia's not tearing it up on offense and neither is Iowa, but they're both winning with defense – Are we sure there's that big of a difference between them? I think, Shahan, that could be a valuable investigation for us to undertake for one of the pods next week. What do you think? Yeah, I I think that that's a great topic for, uh, for some of the Tuesday show. The college football playoff show where the playoff never ends. All right. So that last thing, Shahan, we got to figure out who's out, who's out, who's out. We can't be having 12. We don't, we don't have 12 teams who keep deserving to be part of this. So we'll get back down to 11. We had a Kentucky at the front. Who should be booted? I gave four choices. Five and one Penn State after the loss to Iowa. I don't know. You lost. I don't know. You lost. Five and one Alabama. You lost. I don't know, man. Four and one Oregon. All right. You were off, but like stuff's kind of falling apart. Or four and two Arkansas. 
you mentioned early on, only two lost team in the discussion right now. Who do you think won? Who do you think won the vote, Sean? What you're telling me is that you didn't put Ole Miss on the list. Is that what you're telling me? They beat Arkansas. They're, they're they going to make the last week. They had a case out last week. But you, anyway, I yeah. I think that uh, I I mean nothing is a hundred percent in this life. But did Arkansas get like ninety five percent? They did. They got like ninety five percent. They got ninety six percent. Oregon Oregon got three percent. Yeah, Alabama one percent. Somebody oh, was like, on. that's enough. Come on. They're like, get him out. And nobody voted for Penn State. So yeah, Arkansas yeah. is out. And yes. but Arkansas, we will keep on alert for you, right? Of you've got Alabama left, right? They have Alabama left. Yeah, they have Alabama left. If you beat Alabama, I mean, heck, we'll, we'll put you back in the discussion. We'll put you back in the discussion. So they've got to earn it, uh, earn it back in. All right. They're out. The out was not as exciting this week. Might be more exciting outs next week. We've got 11 teams going forward. Thanks to you guys for being part of it. For Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Playoff Show. The College Football Playoff Show, where the playoff never ends. 